0: And Twitch is coming along. Oh, and Twitch, okay. we are live. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Homemade Camera Podcast's first live recording, episode 62. Uh, we're trying something new today, which is live streaming. Um, we're live streaming to the Cameradactyl channel. We will eventually live stream to the Homemade Camera Podcast channel on YouTube and uh, figure out where things are going another time when I'm not wasting uh, Nick and Graham's time. Um... Yeah, so we're going to try and record a podcast end-to-end live today. Uh, Graham's going to take us through, and then if we have some time at the end, if there's anybody watching and on the line, we're going to do a call-in segment where I'll put a link uh, below for um, our chat room, and uh, if anybody has homemade camera uh, questions or answers or they want to show us something they've made, uh, you can call in and chat us. Okay, Graham, take it away.
1: Yeah, okay. So uh, we're going to start it with uh, our normal little question. Um, so, Nick, you do a lot of work with metal. Um, you do some work, I'm guessing, with some wood, but, but more your media is metal. Uh, Ethan, your media is plastic, printed, and then polycarbonate. Um, cut and plywood cut. Uh, I'm very much a um, wood and uh, 3D printed plastic person. So I'm going to start with you, Nick. Um, What material would you like to work with that you don't currently work with? Like if you had the ability to suddenly you know, work with glass, um, suddenly work with a material you don't primarily work with now, uh, for the building of cameras, I'm going to put this specifically in the building of cameras, what material would you use? What's your, um, what's your media?
2: So it isn't a change of material, but, uh, a change of tools. So I'm a metal worker by trade, but I've Forging and fabrication of steel is what I've been doing for years. And I am definitely going to make some heavy and insane cameras using those methods. But in terms of builds I want to make, uh, and this is something I may never even get around to, but if I had uh, to embark in a new direction, I would be interested in machining. I would be interested in being able to work aluminum using machine tools.
1: are you talking CAD or or
2: hand? You, oh, I don't care. I just want a machine to make a precise cut okay. for me. However, I can induce it to do that. Okay. So, so that's something I would like to be able to do. And I not on a huge scale. I don't need a giant bridge port, just small stuff. And I'm already moving towards that by uh, working with things like a router. And, you know, aluminum is easy to cut. You don't need uh, crazy machinery to work it. Uh, but just setting up. I guess i'll definitely get as far as having you know a traditional router table with a fence and that sort of thing Um, but it would be interesting to be able to take it to an even higher level of precision on small smaller pieces and parts i like metal as a material and i'd like to be able to work it with a more precision Uh, so that's something
1: okay so uh ethan what do you think what's your material that you would like to work with
0: Metal, probably. Uh, there's a couple, actually. So I've been waiting for the Fuse 1 to come out. I actually have a friend from college who's been working on that at Formlabs, which is a laser centered nylon powder device uh, for 3D printing. Um, I think Jeff Perry at 20th Century Cameras worked on a lot of the HP binder jets, which are similar technology, and they make really cool parts. Uh, very precise and... Uh, stable parts you know they they have far fewer and uh, less onerous design restrictions than say fdm um i'd -hmm. also like to do more resin i have a resin printer here and some test resin parts but you know i haven't had the month or two of time that's necessary to you know go into figuring out the material science of resin mixing and what it's good for and whatnot um you know, and then I'd love to spend more time on the mill and lathe making uh, CNC metal parts, but, I mean, that's very expensive. Um, not to make one for me, but it's, it's very expensive to sort of go into production with CNC parts, um, which is tough, you know, because there's still a lot of good, inexpensive cameras out there that I would be competing with, so I don't see myself uh, making stuff out of metal or too much metal anytime soon, um, but yeah. Uh, Laser centered plastics, um, metals, and uh, more resins. How about you, Graham? I
1: it, it's I I guess it's going to be um, a trifecta of metal. Um, what I I'm good at um, making the the plastic parts, doing the 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 engineering and the the design of the plastic parts, but they certainly have a limitation. Um, they have a limitation on um, their finish. They have a limitation on uh, their uh, durability and flexibility. They're, you know, if you drop a metal camera from, eye height. Okay. So you're taking a camera, and woo, you know, taking a picture and whoops, you know, you drop your M2. Um, you it's, done. <laughs> it's well, it may be done. It may not be done, but if you do the same thing with a, with a plastic camera, you're, you know, you're, you're getting about the same performance. So it's not that it's being able to make the fine parts. Okay. Um, and it's, um, it's being able to,, um, to really do some real fine work that I think uh, I think you can do in resin,, um, uh, but you cannot do so much in um, FDM uh, printing. you know, you're you're limited to a um, a medium, fine quality um, you know like for instance um, you know like I I'm I'm holding up an M2 here and I'm pointing uh, I'm pointing at the dial on there that has the shutter speeds on there and that's all you know that's all engraved that's machined I'd love to be able to to do that type of uh, work um, I'm I'm feeling a little bit like we've got um, you know I I feel a little bit like I've got a uh, what do you call it a, a, a chainsaw and I'm and I'm trying to you know create a a fork using a chainsaw you know a, a table fork Great with a chainsaw allergy. you you can do it but it's just not going to be the final, you know, it's not, it's not of the quality that, that, that I'm really, or it's not of the accuracy that I'm, that I'm really looking for. I haven't had any better luck trying to make a
2: chainsaw using just a fork either. It's difficult, (laughs) whichever way you run it. That reminds me, it's not just machining that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also a whole range of processes like press forming and and bending with a brake, and there's an yeah. awful lot you can do with actually quite simple tools. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, you don't need to machine things out of a solid block of metal. You can build up parts, but just simply being able to make a precise bend in a piece of sheet opens up a whole bunch of stuff. You know, or press forming, which can be done with a manual tool. It's, it's basically a similar to an old printing press with a screw and a big flywheel that you could just spin the flywheel and it presses down with a tremendous force. And if you put a piece of sheet metal over a little die, it'll instantly make it into this more complex shape. Uh, And the Mm -hmm. dies don't require machining either. That's another thing that traditionally, that's the expensive part of that process. But I can make dies by direct forging quite quickly. Uh, So there's all sorts of avenues that would open up tons of possibilities without getting into a lot of complexity or even needing a computer or any of that, you know.
0: Hey, Nick, um, I assume yeah. you have like a big press of sorts, either hydraulic or pneumatic. Oh, or I, used press. <clears throat> I used
2: to. I used to. I I have the parts of it. I took it apart. Um, it wasn't that useful for my work. Uh, it turns out a hammer is, you know, a power hammer has <clears throat> orders of magnitude more power than even a big press. Um so for forging steel, the press didn't really impress me, <laughs> but but for but for sheet metal, it's a whole other story. And what I need for that is something called a fly press. It's an old-fashioned manual, uh, no electricity needed tool, and that would be a great addition to the shop.
1: I actually. Oh, just- and if they if they have a letter press, also, I'll take the letter press. Same idea. It has nothing to do with cameras. I.
0: <laughs> maybe more than you would think uh but i just watched a bunch of youtube videos from a maker i can't remember his name maybe i'll find it um who was making uh sheet metal stamping dies out of 3d printed plastic and obviously Mm -hmm. the power hammer is not going to uh let those plastic dies live for more than a millisecond but um on like an Arbor Press or like a slow hydraulic press, he was able to make some really good parts. At least, you know, one or two parts before he cracked the die. But um, it was very interesting. and made me, made me think that that, you know, sheet metal stamping is not something I've traditionally done for anything. You know, if I need metal parts professionally, I just get them CNC machined. But um, man, it would be nice to have a, a sheet metal press. It would just take up more than my entire shop.
2: No, but not it doesn't have to be so large.
0: Uh, it, 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 the
2: fly presses are quite small. That's a tabletop tool. Um, you know, or or at least a freestanding. They don't have to be huge to be very effective. One of the reasons I kind of got on this track is playing with 1950s and 60s Voigtlander cameras. And at their peak, they were making just superb, beautiful, elegant, complicated things. But when you really look at them, they're made using pretty simple processes they just were die forming sheet metal just doing a really nice job you know Mm -hmm. and as far as making dies the way I make dies is this extremely simple brute force method I'll make a positive out of steel which takes me a little bit of time and then I just uh, take two blocks of steel and connect them by a sort of bobby pin shaped spring I put them in the forge and heat the two blocks up to a white heat stick my blank between them and smack it with a power hammer and it forms the die in about you know 10 20 seconds so now i have a female die that matches or, or my original positive and i can don't forge have to things to, to match that original effective. positive quickly uh, once that die cools down and you reverse the process you put a hot piece of metal between the cold die faces and hammer on it so that's a way that i make hot forging dies but you could use the same process to make a bottom die for a press uh, and then you just drop a piece of sheet metal in there and squish it down. And as long as you, you know, made a shape that can be formed that way, um, you can rapidly form more complex shapes. And they don't have to be crazy complicated, but just to make, I don't know, a dome shape, you know, or something like that, that would would suit what your uh, design wants to look like. Mm
1: -hmm. All right. What do you guys say we start the homemade camera podcast?
0: Wait, we didn't start the podcast already? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, we're going to start it now. The 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 problem with uh this week is we don't have any music uh to roll us in uh and we're not going to edit this. We're going to do this straight live. So just pretend that you can hear Robbie's music going right now.
2: I'm making will have um, to get a to, add those to get a recording videos.
1: of it. Yep. Oh, yeah, add music. Yeah, there we go. Um See, so I was thinking we'd have
2: to play on a harmonica or something, but I guess there is some technology for this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I could, <laughs> I could probably cue something up relatively quickly, but, um, we're, we took, a we took a month off, um, from recording. Um, I was at the end of the semester, which is my, uh, one of the two busy times, um, that I have semi-annually. Um, and, um, uh, Nick was at the end of a a project or he's at a busy point in the project. And Ethan, as you guys know, has, uh, been working on, uh, getting the, uh, the Kickstarter out and, and going and, and prepping for Kickstarter production. And as he points behind him, he's got, um, Something like 600,000 uh, 3D printers running right behind them. They're all Ender 3s, too, uh, it sure looks like to me. But um, so we, we when we came back, one of the things that we did when we were off for our month was we started talking about uh, different ways of producing the show um, that would streamline it. And one of the ways is just doing a live show. Um, so one of the advantages of doing a live show is that we will be live streaming, like we are live streaming right now on what outlets? Uh, Twitch?
0: Twitch, Twi- Facebook, and YouTube. <coughs> Currently just my accounts, but we'll, we'll uh, set them up in the intervening week uh, to actually yeah. go to the Homemade Camera Podcast accounts.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so we're going to be doing that. Um, one of the advantages of that is that we will be able... To have some uh, listener slash viewer interaction, um, and I think that that's actually something I'm really excited about. Um, uh, I would I would love to have uh, somebody come on, and even if it's just in the chat of uh, one of those platforms, um, you know, we can read questions and and hear live. Uh, feedback and, and stuff like that and open it up. Uh, make it much less of a one-way stream and much more into a two-way stream. One of the things that we also talked about a, a, a little bit is the idea that we are committed to still making this a podcast. Um, I'm somebody who for whom watching, um, having video running um, is not something that I can do but I can, I can have audio running quite often in my day, so uh, we're we're committed to that. Um, so I, I just wanted to say uh, we're expanding, but we're not forgetting. Um, we're not moving our um, western from the radio to the television. We're we're keeping it on both. So. With that said, do you guys want to add anything to, to that or comment, tell me how I'm, I'm wrong?
2: No? No, it's going to be a little tricky uh, to do this, but I am hoping we can take advantage of the video to show more uh, stuff other than our talking heads. So to be able to show uh, projects we're working on, drawings, plans, ideas, cameras, even in photographs, whatever images, as an integral part of this, but without um, leaving a bunch of holes in the, in the audio. So we'll, we'll, we'll need to work on practicing that. Uh, But if anything, this should make us a little more aware of what we're doing. So we hope that uh, adding video won't just make it more complicated, but maybe will make us uh, uh, make the show evolve into something more interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ethan, anything to add before we roll into
0: Um, your section? Um, no, that's, uh, that's good, but let's do your section first so I can fiddle with OBS a little bit in the background.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, I, uh, spent a little, little bit of time, uh, over the last month, um, reducing my camera inventory. Um, and, uh, part of the deal was that I wanted to buy something new and I'm going to go ahead and lift it up. And I did buy something new. Um, This is a Chamonix. Uh, Here, let me get it on the right side of the, uh, of the boxes. There we go. Uh, This is a Chamonix four by five view camera. It's got my, um, Topcon Horseman um, 105 on there right now, um, but I I wanted I I wanted a view camera that was a field view camera. Um, uh, I I wanted a view camera that that had more movements than my tower press had, and I wanted something that was a a beautiful piece of of. Um, equipment, you know, I, uh, this is, this is a really nice wood and it's, uh, got some, uh, some metal parts to it. Um, here, let me, if I can, I'll switch to color. I don't see where my, okay. Um, right now I'm, I'm showing black and white and, uh, cause my Fuji can show black and white. Um, but, uh, so anyway, that was one of the things that I did. And um, it, I also needed it for a base for a project that I'm working on that, that I'll probably be talking about in our next episode or the one after uh, I'm in, in development on a project. Um, so that was one of the things that I, that I, I bought. I'm, uh, I'm getting further and further into that large format area. One of the things also that I did was I salvaged some parts um, from the Esquelax. You guys remember the Esquelax was the 4x10 camera. Um, That 4x10 camera was a very good project to do. It was just a dog of an execution. So I am uh am not currently with a 4x10. Uh it was just the most wobbly, unstable uh behemoth of um of a dog uh that there that there was out there. <laughs> and um but it was a it, okay, so what did I learn? Learned how to make bellows. Um I learned um different ways of mounting um, the um, Uh, the various elements. Uh, I learned that I can create light leaks in any format of camera. I'm really good at that. Um, Whether you want them or not, I'm not really great at plugging light leaks. Uh, But anyway. My favorite um, part of
0: what you learned in that is to draw by hand that whole thing and like break it down into all of the mechanisms and like, I, I like that camera. I didn't have to use it. I'm sure you every day yeah. were annoyed by something, but I think that's going to play heavily in the future in, in all your other cameras.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and one of the thing, one of the things about buying the Chamonix is, you have to say it like that. You have to say it, Chamonix. Right, with an um,
0: authentic Chinese accent.
1: With the, Exactly. I think that that is actually a Shenzhen um, accent. But... Um, so,
2: it's, a, it's. I am curious why it was named after an alpine French town because they have views in China also.
1: Yeah. Um, otherwise, it's the Three Gorges camera. I don't it know. M- it but might be an issue. Of Yangtze, this. I'll bet you there is a Yangtze camera out there already. Um, yeah, they could fool people. It, is, by the way, this thing just engineering its. It is, it's beautiful it is everything that a 21st century version of a of an eight, 19th century of camera should be um, uh, nice. you know it, it's it's 21st century machining and materials uh, for a, a 19th century design so um, mm. so that's good um but um uh i forgot where i was going going directly on that your next but,
0: project or what you're yeah
1: uh, well i've got a project so, coming up i'm not gonna tell you about
0: um, right so you
2: were but you're talking also about you you had a project that didn't work as planned but it has good yeah. parts that you can pirate and use on your next experiment and that's something i do a lot uh you'll find yeah. that you know when it, something fails but three or four things worked right you know sure. you can just take those parts and plug them right into your next project.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I have a prototype down here that I'm not going to show. So you guys who, who are at home are not missing anything. Uh, but I have a prototype that I, uh, I engineered. Um, and then I uh, printed and assembled. And it didn't work. Um, it, uh, there was a film transport issue that did not work. And so I had to go through and redesign it and, and reimagine what that um, design was going to be. And um, and that's exactly what I'm doing with the Esquilax. Um, the engineering on the Esquilax will move on, right? Um, so I just I just needed to get... Excuse me, I just needed to, I needed to build the Esquillax so I can move forward with building those types of cameras.
0: Let me ask mm-hmm. you and a yeah. question. I, I want to go on a little tangent here uh, because I have limited space always, and I know you have limited space. Um, I like to keep a library of prototypes. Right, This is tangential. Um, <laughs> and I never throw out... So if I'm working on something actively... Um, I might throw out up to one pass. So I'll have the one I'm working on and then one version older and then everything older than that can be scrapped, used for other parts, thrown out, whatever. Uh, I would like to have, you know, a hundred foot long table in every iteration of the thing that I'm working on. Like when we went through the mongoose, uh, I probably had... 40% 40% of those prototypes. Yeah.
1: You want to, you want to make the, um, the cameradactyl version of the Nikon museum, right. Or the yeah, Canon.
0: But it's also like useful to me. Like I keep, you know, sketches in, in order that I'm working from in CAD or engineering mm-hmm. changes. And like at a certain point, a lot of it has to go. I was like, it hurt my heart when I saw a picture of the Esquillax on top of your garbage can. And I can't believe you threw it out before you made the next version. That seems like, I could, I, I, I could see you making a new one that works better and then you toss it or give it to somebody, but like, you just tossed that thing and, uh, and moved on. What, uh,
1: okay. On? So yeah. Okay. So there, there are a couple of things with that. One of the things is um, I, it, it, I was not in a position to immediately build the next one and it, I had no place to put it. So it sat on my large format tripod. So if I needed the tripod, I'd go put it on the floor and then, you know, and, and I love the look of that camera. Um, I -hmm. still, I I love the, it was yellow and gray And, um, the, you know, I love the look of that camera and it, it, it was a nice decorative element for me, for my wife, it was not so much of a nice decorative element. So, um, and I wanted to, um, you know, I wanted to put the, the Chamonix on the, on the large format tripod. Nick, you were going to say something?
2: Yeah. I want you both to look up at your ceilings. And now imagine a grid of a few hundred cup hooks. (laughs) Yeah. One of those old fashioned grabber, reacher things that used to get stuff off high shelves in old fashioned general stores. Yeah. And you could store quite a lot of cameras dangling from the ceiling.
1: Yeah. I think I would have to be single. Um, If I was single in my bachelor pad, that would work. I do not think that that would work. Uh, With my wife
0: in the same
1: house.
0: um, Ten years ago when I was buying cameras, I was in Denver. I forget the guy's name, but I bought a lot of cameras from him. He had a big, like a drive-in photographic car type of studio. And we went into his basement and it must have had like seven foot ceilings. And it had just hooks everywhere. And he was pulling (laughs) cameras and lighting and props (laughs) off of the ceiling. And handing them to me in boxes. Uh, It was... It was ridiculous. I like. I like it. I think. Yeah, and you know.
1: and there's something to that. Uh, the problem that I have is um, for air conditioned space, which is absolutely imperative in Florida, where uh, mold, mildew, um, and you know other types of critters will completely kill your your system in sure a matter of of a week or two or well okay in the matter of a month it can grow mold to the point where it's unusable um so you're going to need i I just don't have the space to do it so i understand you're
2: moving into cameras that are so beautiful that you could plop them anywhere and nobody will you know want them kicked out of your house so from now on Attractive and the Esquilax, cameras,
1: yeah. wasn't quite there. And the Esquilax was always a prototype. It was from day one to be a prototype. It was for me to figure out if I could build what I wanted to build. So and,
2: I, I'm going to ask I, you a direct question it. about it. So yeah. the, what's the primary problem? The primary problem I have with those big view type cameras when they're homemade, mm-hmm. the primary problem I have is precision. That if you can't keep that lens and film plane perfectly parallel to each other when you want them to be there, Mm -hmm. it it introduces all these issues, especially with long lenses and shallow depths of field. You're going to get, you know, half the image is going to be blurry or, you know, it's just that fussing to get things square is the biggest thing I I find anyway. Um, Especially with longer lenses and, you know, stop... uh, the problems with yeah. the field that come up,
1: and I'm so, and, and I'm going to say when I was looking at buying the the Chimney, um, I looked at Steve Lloyd's um, uh, um, Carbon Adventure, mm-hmm. and I really like his method of of having the zero points. Um, the magnetic mm-hmm. zero points, uh, are, are really good. And that's something that I may build into a future, um, design on the Chamonix. It is, um, they're not, um, uh, magnetic. It's, it's visual. Um, there are little, little pips at, yep. you know, that, you know, and what I mean by a pip, it's a little mark. Um, and that little mark is, um, it, it says where you're parallel and there's one on every one of the adjustments that shows when you're at zero. Now, one of the things that I'm going to say is your lens board, uh, like the one for the, for the, for the lens board, uh, the rise and fall, let's say that for the rise and fall, there are a lot of, um, and these are Linhof Technica lens boards, Linhof boards, whatever. Um, they often will have an offset hole. And so, so it's not necessarily going to sit exactly in the right spot with those marks, but that's a that's a good way. And I did do some of that. The problem was that I did not have materials that were rigid enough, Yep, was sure that when it was straight up and down, it was actually straight up and yep.
2: down. Can, yeah, r- materials and connections. And that yeah. decision is super important and i i yeah. have an example of that that i just went through with the graph uh, graphic press cameras so the traditional graphic press cameras all the way up through the pacemaker which was top of the line uh standard camera they have a self aligning front standard in the way the clamp works it's symmetrical and it always aligns and because all it offers is just rise and t- a little bit of tilt Those can be very uh, prescribed just by the structure. So the way that camera works, you can yank the lens out on the bellows to any place, lock it and then switch to focusing and it will always be square. So then they came out with the uh, super press, um, Mm -hmm. the super graphic, which I also have. And that has full movements and it introduces a problem. When you pull the lens out to a random position on the focusing rail and lock it, it's not necessarily square. And the only Mm -hmm. way you can get it square is with these little uh stops that can be moved and screwed into place and they have a quick release fold over stop so that you can slide past them or you can use them to lock the camera
0: or the the front front
2: standard square so the secret of that camera if you want to use multiple lenses is you need to uh, accumulate extra uh stops and add them Mm -hmm. into the focusing rail so that you've got a stop place for infinity focus on each of your primary lenses. And that is a great solution, uh, but it is yeah. a little tricky to find them. You've got to basically steal them off other cameras, so. Uh,
1: you can find them on eBay. They they go for quite a bit of money, but you can yeah. find them on eBay. But the, um, the what I did, um, uh, Ethan, what is it? Tower Press is also a Bush Pressman. Um, so what I did for those, was like I found infinity focus for each of my lenses, and then just took a stylus and and marked up the aluminum um, in those locations and made sure it was square, so I could bring it out to that right location and it was it was relatively quick to do i just had to remember which mark was which and yeah. then i can also it has a focusing scale on it um uh on that uh, on the rack and pinion and 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 that worked pretty good yeah so, so the
2: so the issue with this i'm uh, sorry but the issue with the super yeah. graphic is that it has too many movements and so yeah. and that one adjustment does more than one thing so you can't it's just too fiddly to rely on marks. So you need the okay. physical, physical stops with that camera in order yeah. to keep from going insane uh, because you're adjusting several different parameters with just one toggle. Uh, right. So the stops are crucial. But the other good news is that the stops come with all the other cameras and you don't really need them for the other cameras because they're self-aligning. They're really only there if you're calibrating a rangefinder to a certain position on the focus mm-hmm. rail. So you can take them off your crown graphic or your other older speed graphics or whatever and and put them all onto the super graphic. So if you're mm-hmm. somebody like me who is focused on one brand of cameras and has several uh, different ones, you can, t- and also the those fit the different sizes. You can take the same one off, a Century graphic will fit on a big crown graphic. So mm-hmm. you can basically p- pilfer them from other cameras and stick them on your super graphic. And, and that camera, I just want to say, is really growing on me. It's a Uh really, really nice piece of machinery. It's entirely made of metal. Uh, It's very precise. It offers more movements than I want. And the only disadvantage of it is, we'll get to later, is that its widest lens that it can focus uh, is 90 millimeters. And that's a limitation that bothers me.
1: Okay. The other thing that I wanted to talk about today was I um, I, I put some of the money that I, uh, I sold a lot of cameras and a lot of pretty high end assets um, that I had. Um, and uh, I put some, you know, I bought the Chamonix um, and I also bought a point and shoot camera. That I'm really excited at uh, about. It's a Fuji Cardia Rensha. and you probably, <laughs> if you are one of those people who who looks at eBay, you you've seen it. It is the eight lensed um, camera that's made by Fuji, and it, they advertise it for golf to analyze your golf swing. <laughs> um, and uh, the and I, you know. I, uh, I, I love the, this camera because because it is so golf-centric. Um, it, it, I think it's cheap because it, it just talks about that one thing. So what it is, is it's eight lenses and um, they're full height, uh, but I think they're half frame. Or they could be a little bit even smaller than half frame. But what it does is it takes <clears throat> eight pictures in sequence and so you can set it for a certain delay, it, from what I can tell. I haven't read the manual yet. Um it sounds but, a lot
0: to me like um, a pocketable version of Moybridge's horse camera that invented yes. the motion picture.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, but I don't think I'm going to have to kill uh, my wife's lover in order to, <laughs> uh, to shoot it. Um, So, uh, so anyway, the, the, so the idea is that you get a sequence and you can set the delay. So it's click, 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 you know, or it's click, 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 or you can set, set it. So you take each frame individually and, you know, part of the deal what, oh and I've also ordered another another camera that's gonna be a month coming from Russia um that I, I'm gonna tell you about. Um part of it is um
0: cameras in,
1: cameras out. Cameras in, cameras out, right? Exactly, exactly. Um but the the thing that you can do with this is you can take an you can make an eight-frame GIF. Um, or you can, you know, you but it,
2: but I just want to point out that it's, it's on 35 millimeter film. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. It's on 35 millimeter f- film and you can do an eight page GIF wh- or an eight frame GIF, which is something you can do with a digital camera and in, in with by click, 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 click. And you can do that with a full frame camera as well. Um, uh, it's just that this hat, this is um, you know, dedicated to that. And it's, it's got some controls that really help that you can go, you can trigger them right to left or left to right.
2: Um, that, that's, mm, that's, interesting. that's cool. That makes sense. Um, now I understand why there's eight lenses. I couldn't figure out why you yeah. needed eight lenses instead of just having a fast film advance, Right. Uh, that ability to change direction is, is special. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so there is, um, that, um, we've, uh, um, so, uh, so I'm really excited about that, uh, coming in and, and it's coming from Japan on the slow boat. So, um, you know, I don't know if it's gonna have to get, uh, you know, vaccinated at the, at the border. Nah. Um, but it'll, it'll be sometime in January before I get that. The other thing that I ordered, and it's a camera that I have been wanting really maybe for about seven or eight years. And it's a Lomo Sputnik. Um, so a Lomo Sputnik is a it it's a try is no it yeah it's a TLR as in a three lensed um uh a tri lens reflex Uh, it's a stereo camera that that shoots on 120 film and has a third eye that is the um uh the viewing and um I've been doing a lot of stereo work, and I love stereo work. Now, one of the things that I'm going to say, what I do with stereo work is, um, and I've talked about it before, um, and that is usually I hold my camera vertically, and I have a movement. I have a sway. I do a click and then a click, and I can get some pretty good stereo work, and I've been doing that for seven or eight years. Um uh so I can do that but this will give me a a single time frame. The problem with the two clicks is if anything's moving you get this weird like it's almost like a flashing light um when you look at a stereo image. It de- it doesn't flash but it calls your attention to it in a way um that would not be called attention to if it was um uh, if it was a a, a single momentary um, uh, release. Now, All
0: right, Graham, this, I, I,
1: we're going to hear about this a little bit more in Ethan's section. But well, uh, well, what I, were you going to say?
0: I, I wanted to ask, like, okay, we're not uh, the Classic Lenses podcast here, just buying and, no. and selling cameras. Uh, <laughs> ostensibly, we build cameras. Uh, how have these cameras either inspired you to build uh cameras based upon them using some of the things i think we spent a lot of time talking about detents on four by five field cameras um you said you like the magnetic detents rather than like uh ball bearing spring click detents or even just things Uh, are are there specific cameras that you're thinking about building i know you have a top secret project that goes to one of these cameras i hope that's not being too specific
1: no uh, well okay so the chamonix i am going to build a four by five i am going to build a homemade four by five and i plan uh at this point if i can build it to the quality that i want it to be i'm going to release the patterns and how to um that's my plan um uh and Uh, so that's that the, um, the Fuji, the eight lensed Fuji, my God, isn't that Irve? That's the, the, the commercial version of Irve Elena's, um, uh, eight or six
0: camera to the wrench, but yes,
1: (laughs) absolutely. Um, but you know, I, I want to do that same thing with a pinhole. Um, so the more that I can learn from this, the better
0: off I am. Interesting. So Um, is that, is that for, um, I mean, I would think that it's better as sort of a stereo type of camera or, or to be used as a stereo camera rather than an action cam with pinholes or what are you thinking of using it for?
1: No, I'm thinking about using it very much the way Irvay does his.
0: I see. Um, you just need need slower, you need
2: slower. Slower action. You just need slower moving action.
1: Yeah. yeah, just slower moving action. So I've got to figure out one one thousand, two one thousand, three one thousand, four one thousand, five one thousand, six one thousand, and just trigger them in sequence. But I kind of want to. F- I, I want. Okay. So there are a couple of things. There are a couple of things. Not everything that I do photographically has to do with building my own version. Um, you know, uh, some of it does and some of it doesn't. I mean, this I'm holding up my M2 again. Um, my M2 has absolutely no place from a point of view of a homemade camera because I ain't building an M2, right? Um, so it, not everything has to run into that. I am very interested in the artistic output of every one of these cameras that I have. Um, I want to build a really good pinhole camera, or excuse me, sorry, a really bo- good stereo camera, whether it is pinhole or whether it is lensed um, or or what the deal is. Now, one of the other things that I've been working on, of course, you guys have seen, uh, those of you who follow me on Instagram, um, is, is building your own lenses. So uh, I've got, I've got projects coming out my ears right now, uh, which is really good because a month ago I had no projects. Um, and, um, it, it's um, taken me a is, month to get into, lenses. So, you know, uh, with, uh, back into the idea of building and, um, and I needed to step back and that's what this month has given me. So there, you know, just because, Um, one of the, one of the things I was looking at before I got the, um, the Sputnik was the idea of just getting two identical point and shoot cameras that I would mount a certain distance apart from each other, um, vertically, and then I would just press the buttons at the same time or get a remote because a lot of those had remote possibilities, So that was another way of doing stereo, and I still may do that. I actually did that back before I got back into film. So we're talking 2012. uh, I was walking around with two point-and-shoot digital um, Canon cameras that I would walk around that I had mounted on a on a board, and I would walk around and go
0: click. I was doing the same same thing. uh, Yeah, one of these days. We should do an episode do you still have that rig
1: no no oh, no i have but i mean this, i could build uh, that rig i could yeah. build that rig in a half an hour
2: you know yeah yeah i've got the same setup i've got a, a split cable release a double cable release and a uh a rail that goes on a tripod that you can mount two cameras on and adjust the distance yeah. between them so
1: so the all you have to do is take one chamonix and mount it to the bottom of another Chamonix <laughs> and and get one of those double plungers. And you've yeah. got... Right. Yeah.
2: And make a headgear so you can wear it on your head.
1: Oh, no, that's you, Nick. I'm not <laughs> you. That is yours. Okay, so I'm done. I'm done. We're done with my section. And just imagine music playing. Imagine that wonderful... <laughs> Okay, okay, Ethan, what have you been up to? Um,
0: so I've had a very busy month. Um, I am here in the shop running uh, currently one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 12 of the 21 printers that are in the farm are running off Mongoose parts. Um, I don't know if you can see it, but over there I have about 400 pounds of mongoose parts. It's been Chinese Hanukkah every day. Yesterday I got uh, 140. Are those pound sterling? <laughs> yeah, no, no, they are. Uh, it's like maybe maybe 200 kilos of parts, right? And so the I've been building the farm. I built six new printers. I moved the racks around, and I've just been trying to um, build all of the physical parts and get those ready before all of the electronics are here, right? So there's a lot of Mm -hmm. components, resistors and capacitors and switches and things uh, that are coming from China. I actually think I'm going to be maybe a week or two late on the first batch because I will have at by the time everything gets here. I will have, you know, 140 mongooses ready to go, but for a couple of components that I can't buy in the U.S. I actually just yesterday got, A set of JST two-pin connectors that were not the XH uh, 2.54 millimeter pit. (laughs) Yeah, Nick's going to sleep. But yeah, so don't you
1: hate that when that (laughs) happens?
0: Right, they were too small to carry the current that I need them to. Anyway, I'll pay extra, by like two dollars, and get those from Amazon. But you know, slow boat from China. uh, Some things come really quick, some don't. I have 45 pounds of custom circuit boards that came in like five days, but. Um, I've been working really hard on that, trying to get that out. Um, I'm also working on this order of Polaroid scan trays for Brooklyn Film Camera. Um, These are just halves. I need to uh, bond the other side of the acrylic and cut those. Um, That was supposed to go out this morning, however, I spent about a week trying to move a 1,200 pound laser cutter into my shop and decrate it with a pickle fork and a sledgehammer. Uh, carefully because there's a $1,200 tube inside, um, and then get it running, uh, the blower motor. So the machine is the only, has been converted to run on 110, um, from the Chinese 240, but still has Chinese plugs on it outgoing for all of the accessory machines. Uh, the fan will run on 110 also has a Chinese plug had to run the fan through the laser cutter, blew a fuse, took every machine out for about half an hour before I found the fuse, replaced the fuse, rewired the blower fan so I could plug it into regular wall power. You know, none of this is super exciting or camera related other than I've been working on tools to build cameras. Yes.
1: Didn't they have a North American model?
0: This was the North American model. Uh, I mean, they're all made in China, right? I bought it from an American company that uh, dealt with ports and uh duties and rewiring some of the power supply issues but you know uh, the nobody gets a perfect machine right and and that's sort of the nature of these things so uh, it took me about three days to get it into the shop get it all assembled get the chiller the blower the air assist running uh download some new laser cutter software
1: we learn how I to use it. You could have gotten a Glowforge, man. Those are cool. They look sleek.
0: A (laughs) Glowforge is almost the same price in cuts like this big. Uh, My machine will now cut three by four feet with a pass-through up to four by infinity feet. So it's way nicer than a Glowforge.
2: It's going to be worth it.
0: I think so. It already is. So um, let me think. Is there anything else before we get to the laser cutter? So I think... I finally got it dialed in. I adjusted all of the uh, optics bench mirrors in it so that the beam is collimated and aligned. I leveled the table so I can make large cuts. And um, I kind of took a day with my friend Joe uh, to just, like, to play with the laser before I ruined another um, $100 worth of acrylic for that Brooklyn film camera thing. I figured I'd try it on a bunch of different things, get it get it going before, you know, I... Um, Whatever. So, anyway, I made, um, let's see, this box camera in just a day with my friend Joe. It's. Uh, it takes 4x5 sheet film holders and actually this rubber band method. I was thinking about making elastic bands, but uh, the rubber bands are really simple and strong. So,
1: Ethan oh, is holding right. up a uh, plywood, a laser cut plywood 4x5 pinhole camera um, that the, the rubber bands hold uh, a, a standard um, uh, Fidelity um, film holder on the back. It has kind of a, a floppy paddle um, shutter that also has a rubber band attached to it. Um, and yeah, there we go. Does it have neodyni- neodymium magnets anywhere on there?
0: So this one does not have magnets, so the idea okay, is Okay, that's like, so 20th century. You no, need 20th century I, technology. No, I have <laughs> magnets in a lot of things. I was uh, laser cutting some rubber stamps uh, where they magnet to the stamp holder. Uh-huh. Uh, there's some magnets in the next super secret product that is somewhere uh-huh. in that pile over there. But um, uh-huh. I just, I wanted to make this, um, you know, one, to test out the cutter and get it, Uh, sort of dialed in for cutting wood but also, you know, if I have to assemble this, it takes hours, it would be very expensive but I'm just, I Uh should have put it on the internet a while ago but I've been working on some upgrades to it Uh, but I'm going to make it as like a self-assembly kit where you don't even need clamps, you basically need glue and paint um, and maybe some wood stain if you want to be fancy and sandpaper and because of the box joints it goes together square, just pops together like Legos and then you just put some rubber bands around it like this while the glue is dry. I did this on a live stream. Um, Probably a bunch of these people have seen this, but uh, it just, you know, it took me two hours to build it really hastily. And if you let the glue dry for a day and let the paint dry for a few hours, I think you could do a much nicer job. But um, I think this will be a product when I have a little bit of uh, bandwidth to actually photograph it. Uh, There's 400 pounds of Mongoose parts in my tabletop studio. so. Yes, Graham.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I have. Uh, we have right now at least three people viewing this, and if there are other people
0: there are on YouTube,
1: there are eleven levels. people on YouTube chat. Um, uh, so here's the question: I want to see a variant of this, and I want to know how many other of our uh, of the people who are watching along. Um, I want the variant, no, not the 8 by 10. the he's <laughs> a, he pulled out an 8 by 10 variant. I want a stereo 4x5 um, cool. version. It shoots on a sheet. It's got um, a double paddle um, uh, and here's here's an example of the double paddle. I'm holding a an apple pencil right in the center and it rotates. To expose both windows, both pinholes, at the same time, and all you need to do is just put a a, a piece of wood right down the center something on the like inside. This. So, uh, oh, let me. Um, oh, well, that's your that's
0: your. This is something else, but but this sort that's of. That's a
1: style. mechanical one. So the question is to our the people who are watching along on YouTube, because I only have that chat up. Um, uh, who also is interested in a stereo four by five version of this? So I'll watch that chat and I'll see if anybody else is, um, is three
0: viewers
1: (laughs) of, Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh Oh, my, uh, my camera's running out of battery. I got to switch that. So I'm going to mute for a moment you got, you can continue
0: on. Okay. So, um, what else have I been working on? I've been working on a bunch of like really silly shutter designs uh, that are way too overbuilt and Rube Goldbergian for um, these pinholes, right? You just—I was talking to Andrew Bartram while I was building it, and he said, you know, just use your uh, use your finger; it will work great. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, these are fun. My friend Han uh, designed some. He had some drawings where every time you took a picture, it fired a rubber band off like a rubber band gun. I like that. And then, um, what else have I been working on? Uh, You know, pretty soon I'm going to have to stop design time entirely and spend about 20 days sanding and soldering. I'm close to the sanding point. Um, I don't have enough components to solder, but, um, you know, just other kind of... Designed some uh, stamps that are magnetic to be laser cut just more or less to stamp my packaging. Um, oh, this one was fun. I designed um, this kind of a laser cut box brownie. Um, here, let's align this in the screen. Oops, sorry. So Run what play. are you using here for a line from- um, This was like either pinhole or sort of um, you know... Uh, maybe some Surplus Shed or AliExpress. Like, you know, this is a very cheap build-it-yourself camera that um, actually would have a shutter mechanism. Uh, My screen is reversed. Shutter mechanism between these plates. Um, And then I kind of started drawing different uh, views of it, and I catted most of this up. But kind of the interesting part that I was working on, like, okay, so I have, uh, here's, oh, my God. I need to unmirror the screen. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been doing that. Here we go. Here we go. Nope. Wrong. Yep. Okay. So this. Ah, what am I doing? Okay. There we go. This I have is sort a suggestion. Of like a what, mechanism. what?
2: What? what Why don't you aim a camera at a mirror, and then you can hold the thing in front of the mirror. (laughs) I
1: didn't mean to
0: fiddle with the settings, but we're live. Okay.
1: So um, what Ethan's doing right now um, that is probably not tailor-made for the podcast uh, version of this is he's showing uh, sketches in his um, uh, dream camera journal. Um so so yeah. So um I want to say Dale Willets um says 4 by 5 stereo sounds cool but imagine the size of the viewmaster type spectacle viewer you would need to wear. So just <laughs> it would uh, yeah. it would be kind of uh kind of like who who had the big glasses who would say I see blah 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 um out there did the cartoons um okay never mind um romper room uh, romper room she had big okay never mind uh, but so uh, so
2: what his his point is good though if the stereo and yeah. viewer is really huge you might actually need to have a counterbalance and a shoulder yoke to hold the thing up
1: yeah or you do it <laughs> or you do it with a uh, a table mounted and you just flip them and you flip them or right. if you're somebody like me these could be contact print level, and you just look at them. So, and, and,
2: and Heather O'Class would make a big, uh, like a dollhouse that you would peer into absolutely.
1: it. Absolutely. It. Or yeah. something way cooler than we could think, think of.
0: I mean, so Laura bought me years ago as a present from eBay, one of these old, like, stereo viewers, right? And it has the mm-hmm. the goggles that you put on, and you hold the stick, and it has, like, yeah. a card holder. Stereo stereopticon. Like, perfect. Yeah, okay. So yeah. I yeah, 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 yeah. That word. I wanna, yeah.
2: I want to, before we lose track, before uh-huh. we lose track, Ethan, I really like the uh, box brownie uh, kit. Nice. And I think it would be super cool to play with actually, if you have a very, you know, the t- classic camera with the very simple one speed hand holdable shutter, you know, which you can find in a lot of those old cameras. But what really interests me is why not be able to. Pick some common but fairly high-quality lens that you yes. could just stick on there but still use it in as simple and old-fashioned a way yes. as the box cameras. That could be really enjoyable to use.
0: Yeah, so I kind of designed that thing as a exercise in uh, just showing some friends CAD online and uh, playing with the laser cutter. And in that, you know, I don't think that's going to be a major product of mine, but it'll it'll be a product as a kit eventually, I think. Um, They're going to be fun to use, but really fun to build for those people. Graham, what are you showing me?
1: Okay, so I'm holding up. By the way, uh, uh, Folklorio said the stereo stereo camera would be great. Okay, so Uh, that's... Hold on. uh, Somehow. Okay. Oh, we've you've I've lost, lost Nick. Your window. Oh, you've lost
0: me there we go yeah, sure.
1: um so what I am what I was holding up while uh Ethan tries to get me back on the screen is um it is a positive meniscus lens that I bought um from uh from surplus shed it's it's huge it's 42 millimeter diameter uh versus the, the what the seven millimeter diameter that you see in um in those um uh what do you call it uh in the in the real brownies uh but i got this from surplus shed it's got 105 millimeter focal length which is what it is ideal for your four by five or for your uh, 120
0: six
2: by nine yeah
0: well, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, so it actually, it's slightly tele. It, yeah, it's got to be slightly telephoto because um, I took the brownie and I folded the uh, film holders. Let's see. Now oh, I have the sketch Actually,
2: here. on 6x9, 105 millimeters is a slightly wide normal it's not Yeah,
1: So yeah. yeah, it's what I'm saying is it's within the range. It's yeah. within the range of what, and uh, I'm just, sorry, I'm just looking for the receipt to tell you guys how much that positive meniscus lens was. It was, uh, that might have been a $15 lens. Yeah, I don't have the receipt right. on that
0: one. So the uh, issue with the lens is you just need a shutter, and so I've yeah. been working on like a bunch of Rube Goldberger shutters. Mm-hmm. This one is kind of based on a movie camera and a shutter that my friend joe made and then i'm kind of like on this kick right now which is uh adjustable speed dual slat shutter that has four springs and uh five or six pivots it's it's actually not going to be that complicated or large but it's uh Mm kind of funny to look at and i would like to expose that on the front of the camera maybe under some clear acrylic but like make it a kit that people can not only just build a box but like actually build some mechanisms that give you two Mm -hmm. or three shutter speeds i think at that point you could mount a lens in or on it or come up with versions you know i i really can't devote a ton of time to making that right now i just really want to get these kickstarter and the brooklyn film camera orders out the door but um it's it's simmering i have half of a cad model of this thing that i did in my spare time the other day
1: and um, Dale says uh, you, you can make a peep show viewer for the four by five, um, like the old timey slideshow. So it would go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back. Kind of like the uh, a wiggle, uh, a wiggle gif. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So, so yeah, those are those are all uh, possible. Uh, I love the idea of the make your own shutter concept. Um, And Ethan, I think that you could probably sell, you know, a thousand of those to some educational uh, old timey, all the toys are wood um, store, you know, Um, maybe,
0: maybe Uh, Eric Matthews says uh, making a large format shutter for old brass lenses would be a killer money maker. That is something that I am working on, but not, I don't want to make a Rube Goldberg uh, contraption for old brass lenses. I think I've, I'm working on like a much more complex shutter, but that's not a like one week yeah. project. That's a long-term thing that got shelved a long time ago, waiting for this laser.
2: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, somebody out there should uh, make an old fashioned guillotine. Uh, that's a pretty straightforward well, Eric, process. Well,
1: yeah. Eric works on those. He's got, Some rubber band powered ones and he's got, um, uh, gravity powered ones. So no, but I mean a kit. So I
2: think the self assembly kit kit. thing Mm -hmm. is a really good idea. That idea that you could make some parts and then people will spend their own time assembling them. And I'm really drawn to these plywood ones because you don't need a printer. You just need rubber bands and glue. You know, anyone can, can do that.
1: Right. Right. And if you buy it as a flat
0: pack, you know, um, Mm -hmm that's that's the deal so yeah um I want to point out I have this uh, restream.io that like agglomerates all of the chats from the different platforms you guys not might not be seeing but there is uh yeah. some some Eric Matthew uh and Canal Folklorico uh discussion about uh sketches of shutters and and such and maybe we can have uh, some of those guys on in our next segment mm-hmm. to talk about <laughs> what what we shouldn't just should next next episode, right? Next episode oh, or just in our call-in segment. Yeah, right. But first. So yeah, I'm, you know, I just gave you the update on on me. Uh um, Yeah. what is Nick up to?
1: Oh wait, hold on. Da, da, da. Music from above, music music music. <laughs> <laughs> Nick pew, pew. go so, I'm finally
2: getting to the end of a big construction project I spent the last most of the last year on. Uh, and so, I'm starting to have more time a little bit. And is that,
1: is that Space Needle too? No, because I've been seeing that uh, pictures of that going up. No,
2: <laughs> no, that, no, that's okay. not me. So, okay. <laughs> uh, so, most but what I've been trying to fit in when I get a little time in sunshine is basically just testing some of the uh, cameras with shutters that I've been tinkering with. And the primary two I've been working on are the Speed Baby and a 3x4 speed graphic that I've showed already on this several times. Uh, But what I finally was able to do with that uh, 3x4 speed graphic is I have a 20th century camera back on it that centers uh, the lens on the film, on roll film holders. And that's important because a lot of the lenses I was playing with were system lenses which have fairly small image circles. And in order to... You know at least get a shot without vignetting you need to get them lined up right well i solved that problem but i found that the Kiev 88 lenses i've been using they work on the camera but they're the front standard is so far back that it's inside the box which makes it impossible to add movement so the whole point of having a bellows version of that camera isn't really working out for the shorter uh system lenses because it's just It works, but it's not adding any features and the speed baby works better because that's just a bayonet mount You have perfectly precise alignment. You snap the lens on and go Uh, So that's come out as the winner for system lenses, and I'm gonna expand on that idea Uh, the other thing I've been doing is kind of finishing off sort of completing the uh, the press camera collection I've been playing with and I'm finding that that style of camera is my favorite I still think that home built ones can be a big improvement on the traditional ones, but playing with the traditional ones is a really fast way to understand what works and what doesn't and, you know, use as a test for different ideas. Um, So I just, uh, I recently came up with a four by five speed graphic uh, by buying one that was missing major parts for really cheap, because those are getting really expensive. That's a side topic. but. I feel like covid has brought yet another big price increase in in old cameras and analog gear, which is counterintuitive since so many people are out of work and should be saving their money but for whatever reason, more and more people are playing with
0: analog stuff retail and the prices seem to be rising yeah and all prices are going are probably up we're not going around buying cameras in the way that we used to. <sighs>
2: they're so whatever for whatever reason that this darn things are getting too expensive um probably we're contributing to that but buying this one with missing parts worked out because i've been collecting broken ones for a while and i had all the parts i needed to make that one with a screwdriver i was able to make that cheap broken one into a perfectly working camera uh, the shutter speeds on it it's a pacemaker so probably from the 60s or 50s um The shutter speeds are all accurate, it works great, it's just a great camera. The other problem was that the ground glass I had for it had broken. Um, And so I got a piece of, just a plain sheet of ground glass that fit precisely into it. But that raises another problem because those cameras have, uh, the Graphlex, the graphic press cameras, have a, what's that uh, lens called that's concentric circles? Fresnel, they have a Fresnel lens. That goes in between the ground glass and the film, and the lens side. Which means that if you take it out, the ground glass is now too close uh, to the lens, and you're not. It's not going to match what a film holder sees. Uh, And so I spent a bunch of time with little strips of tape and a micrometer until I was able to space that ground glass back to the right distance uh, without putting this dirty, grubby old nasty piece of fresnel plastic back into the system and i kind of like plain ground glass i i like the way it looks i don't need the even illumination out to the corners that the fresnel gives uh so just a heads up if you're fixing ground glass in an old graphic camera uh don't just put ground glass straight into it but spend some time spacing it and it's approaching two millimeters uh, farther back uh if you don't have the fresnel lens in there
1: can't you just throw uh, calipers on the Fresnel lens? Uh, no, you can't. Um, that, that's a bit of a problem. The reason
2: you can't is because the diffraction index of the plastic is different than air. <gasps> so so you can't just match it. You actually have to, you have to move it a measured distance, which I found by looking up discussions on the internet. And somebody who really knew what they were talking about had an actual you know, one point, whatever millimeter distance that you need to offset it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a bit tricky. All right. Uh, Um, That's my main thing. I have one more thing. Yeah. Uh, Someday, about a hundred years from now, when... uh,
1: Nick is holding up his homunculus?
2: Yeah, I have a a homunculus. And in about a a thousand years, when Ethan's done with all of his mongeese and other projects... Mm -hmm uh i'm going to encourage him or somebody to make an elongated viewfinder um this is one i happen to have and on any camera which puts a big fat chubby rb67 film holder on the back um it puts the the typical viewfinder in a cold far away and it's awkward to see through it well this is an elongated one which brings an eye cup all the way to the back of the film holder and it, it makes it much easier to see what you're doing uh this particular One is perfect for a 100 millimeter uh, lens, which is the standard normal lens for Mamiya press system Mm -hmm. and works really well. Um, Pretty accurate. I like it. And the eye cup's nice too.
1: Yeah. Comfortable um, comfortable uh, to use. So so what Nick was holding up, think of, uh, you know, like a a chimney finder kind of thing, but it's, um, uh, it's not looking down. It's looking back from uh, the body, and all it does is, is offset that viewfinder far enough that, you know, you're not looking sideways out your head to... to uh, Yeah, it's and, just uh, longer. It's just yeah. an
2: elongated pyramidal you know, peep through mm-hmm. viewfinder. Um, yeah, area. so it,
0: the way I've used that in the past is like, uh, I, I don't have an elongated viewfinder on the homunculus, but I know how far My nose has to be you know how hard it has to press against the camera to put my eye at the right distance but like i think a lot of people actually have a lot of trouble figuring out like how close or far they need to be from one of these finders and uh that elongating the viewfinder might help a bunch of people out yeah i think that it does make it
2: yeah it makes it much easier because the the fine tuning of where your eye is it's much less significant with the longer distance it's similar to the old uh you know fold folding sports finders that would mount on a camera and I actually picked a couple of those up to experiment with them I like them a lot too Uh, so you have like a little eye loop and then way up in the front far much farther away a wireframe that can pop up and the nice thing about those is you can have alternative wireframes for different uh formats and different lens Mm -hmm. focal lengths and so forth and you can just fold up the one you need and and use it they're a good uh, good idea and the best one I found so far is actually a Mamiya press one
0: um, yeah, anyway, you know, I was thinking
2: except of, they don't fit in standard cold shoe but
0: <laughs> maybe designing yeah. something uh, now that I have the cutter and a lot of scrap thin black acrylic to make a sort of mercury style longer one which is as wide as the widest lens you might put on a Bronco pan so or a Mamiya press whatever uh, 50 millimeters, mm-hmm. and then just drop in uh, acrylic front masks, right? Because they, none of them yep. have
2: optics. That's possible. Yeah, and the nice thing about that is you basically are creating the equivalent of an of a rangefinder or viewfinder, where you have that a big field of view, and then a small square showing where the actual frame is. And you can make if you make a tilting version of that, you can actually very effectively uh, deal with parallax as well, um, just by sliding a little scale onto the you know rough distance you're, you're uh, looking at that's a pretty cool simple and it's nice cuz you can just fold it up and put it in your
1: pocket if you don't need it you know it's it's uh, it's good all right um uh and that's and that's what you had for us today nick we're oh that's we're enough ready? yeah okay so we have a brand new section of our show it's called questions from the live stream and um so Ethan, you have all of the live streams I only have the YouTube um and uh he's just put up on the screen uh, come join our chat um and he's thrown it in each one of the chats so um uh, one of the one of the things that has already been said so I'll I'll start this off uh, and this is, Lorico um on um youtube uh, and that is oh and of course i'm gonna talk about ethan and ethan has just taken his headphones off and exited <laughs> the room so let's just uh nick we'll just say this is a really good idea ethan should upload a sketch of the day um and so that everybody can see some of his sketches uh and and then he does um follow that up with although Ethan does have uh competitors who might steal his good ideas but um uh I think that that's good so let's have that happen um I don't know if Ethan had to go and vomit or something and now something's come up on my screen um, about admitting somebody, (laughs) I feel, I feel like we're on one of those overloaded ferries, um, in like Indonesia and the, um, and the captain has just passed out drunk on, uh, (laughs) on, we are, I mean, it's one way to say we're rudderless, but I think that this is a little bit more of, um, uh uh of uh, mal whatever um so um nobody has been uh admitted yet because ethan is gone and he's the admitter so okay so, so yeah. i
2: have i have a couple things i could add that was um, so in my earlier i mentioned that some of the press cameras are a problem because I like wide lenses. I found that yeah. I'm doing a lot of photographing in the forest, and I found that wide lenses are a really big help with that, uh, both because of depth of field, but also because of the way they kind of spread things out. And when you have a really complex environment, sometimes visually spreading things yeah. out makes might, makes a, a better composition, less cluttered, and yeah. more more emphasis on whatever you're trying to uh, single out. So. Yeah. The the trick there for me <laughs> is wanting to use medium format film on these old cameras that don't allow a wide enough uh, lens. Yeah. So that's really where I'm focusing my next home build is in order to get uh, get lenses really close to a roll uh, film holder in order to use wider, wider.
3: Yeah, uh,
1: All right. I, I, there's hey. something to that.
3: Also, that was really disconcerting to hear Nick speaking in two completely different out of sync times. I had Nick in both <laughs> yeah. ears, thirty seconds, and we, I'm not sure which one was thirty seconds ahead or thirty seconds behind. That was just like
1: oh joining God. us, joining us now from the um, large the LFPP. Um, we have uh, Eric Mathy. Who, I'm just a hangers-on really yeah well anyway um, uh, Eric welcome welcome to the show we've uh, uh, we've talked about uh, getting you on the show oh. uh, but then you you actually joined the LFP, and then we thought nah <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's they're just another spin-off of the homemade camera podcast now. And so's the classic lenses podcast. They're all everyone's out there making their own stuff now. Yeah. It's yeah. It's just the trend.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I you know, I all I know since I'm a very late comer to this entire scene is that it does seem to be a bit incestuous. Um like y'all seem to know each other and just uh-huh. generally harass the crap out of each other on okay, a it. it's with
1: affection. It's a community, you know. So incestuous sounds so much better. Oh, yeah. Okay. It sounds saucy.
2: Depends on your family, but yeah.
3: fair? Fair? fair,
2: <laughs> fair. I'm just uh, now.
3: I'm just gonna.
1: Oh, that is so wrong. That is wrong on so many levels. um Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so Eric, what have you been up to? what What's uh, what's your um, uh, your contribution? What have you been doing in the last two days? Or the uh, last, the, besides the last,
3: moving, besides moving, yeah. Besides finding my dishes, finally we have dishes yeah. after like three weeks of where the is the box of our dishes. Yeah. We found the damn dishes. Yeah. Um, well, I have a, a call with with Alana. And Wayne uh, Belger tonight to go over the eight by ten project that they're
0: doing. I don't know if you've heard much about that thing yet, uh, but hey, Eric, um, do you know that I have been trying to get um, Eric or Wayne on this show, or actually just talk to him for about six months now. He no is uh,
3: Wayne is awesome, uh, yeah, but so he will experience. readily admit. He will readily admit he is not. Uh, how did he put it to me once? He is not like digitally enabled, like emails, communications, that sort of stuff. Like, like you've got like a less than a ten percent chance of actually having one of those. Well, hit. I've tried six because... times
0: now.
2: Maybe I need, to try another
3: <laughs> you need four or more. Or... Mail?
2: Does he have a mailbox? Like a yes, post- yes.
3: I and right? I have his address, but. Yeah. I also, I'll, I'll talk to him tonight. I have a phone call with him
0: tonight. Cool. He's you me, tell him to email me back or respond to my Facebook messages or Instagram messages. I really want to talk to him. Okay.
1: <laughs> I mean, what is yeah, your I'll, mailing
0: uh, address? Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, we might we have his, to show
3: up at his door. His studio is awesome. My, like, make no mistake, like the his his, where he lives and works. Has a dark room and a CNC, like full CNC machine shop setup, is bonkers, awesome. Like it is a really cool space. Uh, if you're ever in Tucson, uh, for sure. And and like after he's on your podcast, I'm sure you'll, you'll be very friendly with him.
2: Just ping him. You're
3: like,
0: yeah, man, come on over.
2: Post COVID, of course.
0: Anyway, um, both in Tucson fairly frequently yeah my um,
2: wife my wife has a place there, um and we usually spend time every winter. This is gonna be the exception, but okay, I love Tucson, Tucson's awesome, <laughs> yeah, me too um, so the their
3: the project so uh, his partner Alana is I don't know if you've ever seen her work is a really fantastic portrait photographer, like her portraits are are stunning i I can't recommend her work enough um, but at some point in time when she was visiting family. Uh, they learn more about her family history, and, and I'll know a lot more after tonight. Um, they were slaves. You know, they're, they're enslaved in North Carolina, and they went back and found the actual cabins that that her ancestors were owned in and lived in. Um, and so she's going to do a project with an 8x10 camera built with uh, reclaimed wood from those cabins that Wayne is going to build her. It'll be the first camera. It'll be interesting... To, to hear Wayne's side of it, but it'll be the first camera he's ever made for anybody other than himself, and the first camera he'll have ever made with an actual camera lens in it that isn't a pin. That is a, a non-pinhole camera. Um, are you
1: building the lens on that? I'm, at,
3: or I'm building you... the lens.
1: Okay, cool.
3: So I've got uh, I have some thoughts in my head around period correct lens designs, right? Oh. Which okay. um, fortunately I've been doing a lot of lately. Like, where is that beast? Oh, it's out in the other room, um, I think. Yeah, it's in the other room. Um, you know, like your standard single, single element, early eighteen hundreds landscape lens with uh, with the aperture out front. You know, the classic um, things like that. Uh, so I have two fifty six millimeter diameter. Yep. Positive. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm using Acre, I'm using the Acromat because they're just more corrected. Okay. Sure. Um, so I have uh, Wayne. not sorry, not Wayne. But Fred was out of the 52 millimeters that I'm that I've used for a different build. Um, but he had unlisted on his website a pair of 56 millimeter Acromats because mm-hmm. I need to cover eight by ten, right? I need right with possibility of movements uh, with the maximum sharpness. And funkiness level I can get. Are you talking diameter or focal length? Diameter. The focal length is 360.
1: Yeah, okay. Um,
3: So he had two of those unlisted because I just emailed him and said, hey, do you have any more of these? I really would like some. And he said, no, I don't, but I have some of these. I'm like, what's their part number? He's like, they're not on the website. I have two of them. I'm like, they're mine. Mm -hmm. Um, So with those, I'm hoping to make a convertible lens, you know, thread on Mm -hmm. the rear element, turn it into a 180. And then take it off and you've got your standard single element 360 mm-hmm. um, with wooden barrel. So I'm going to to bore out some uh, red gum wood, which is a hardwood that's native to like North Carolina, Mississippi, the Delta, to try to use a, a hardwood that's kind of correct to her, her project and her location. Cool. Um, and then I've got three, I've got, I snagged one of, Surplus shed man, Fred. Can we shout out Fred more? Like, seriously, he is a lifesaver for all of us. Like,
1: surplus shed.com. Here's here's an example of an uncemented Acromat pair. So, uh, I got four of those. Yeah, Fred
3: four. is, yeah, Fred is just a savior. Um, so he has, I don't know if you've seen it, but he has some really nice medium format uh, slide projector lenses. Mm-hmm. Um, for super cheap, right? Uh, And he has the recipe on there for what they're made of. They're a a pair of 85 millimeter positives and a negative 57 in the middle, coming to a, a pretty nice, I think that's 123, 137 millimeter lens. Um, with a really, it's a six and a half, so it's got a really long barrel on the end, right, to make a nice sharp center for the slide projector. Mm-hmm. But a 42 millimeter should theoretically be a big enough diameter to throw an 8 by 10 image. Um, so I have one of those coming for me, and then I did some math, and I have a pair of he just happens to have a metric ton. I'm sure you saw Graham a metric ton of mm-hmm. 40, really nice 42 millimeter achromats and DCXs mm-hmm. and stuff in stock of really like a nice wide variety of focal mm-hmm. lengths. So I've got a pair of those coming um, as well that I should be able to insert into the mix to make somewhere between a 400 to 500 millimeter eight by 10 lens triplet uh, for her, if that works out and if that'll cover the eight by 10 film. Yeah, there's a, uh,
1: this is a 91 millimeter focal length, 36 millimeter diameter.
3: uh, Is that the the 93 you said? Yeah. Yeah, I got a couple of those. Those are really nice.
2: So now that now that I've got a couple few cameras with shutters built into them, I've been uh, starting yeah. to play a bit with barrel lenses because you can find beautiful old lenses. Oh, peanuts! Uh, you know right? things with things with 17 blade apertures and you know, beautiful, even coated beautiful coated lenses, but of the sort of simple older designs that I like. Uh, and there, I'm finding sources for those for you know 20, 30, 40 bucks, like not yeah. expensive at all and some of the m- most interesting ones are kodak projection lenses which yes. are actually in larger lenses but they call them projection lenses in those days yep. and there's some spectacular and a lot of them have big coverage mm-hmm. um that and they're small relatively as well I, so there's a lot going for them
3: yeah the lights the lights medium format projector lenses are stunning i have uh i think the 150 f28 mm-hmm. that mounts up pretty well onto a f- Three, um, three and a quarter by four and a quarter speed graphic yep it, it's a little bit of vignetting around the corners right but that mm-hmm. f2.8 wide open you shoot it with like rc paper and you're mm-hmm. getting one 50th one 100th of a second at f2.8 mm-hmm. and it's there's just stunning lenses yep they're really pretty and there's an off brand that fred has a bunch of that are in reality like uh kelly shane fuller up in portland city is a buddy of mine i talk to him a lot he's in incredibly knowledgeable um, mm-hmm. that particular brand that Fred has is actually it's Pentax made they are Pentax made projector lenses so mm-hmm. it's not like some wonky off-brand throwaway it's like no those are really nice lenses mm-hmm. for from Fred for peanuts oh the other ones he has have you seen those um those 105 to one some D's. of these I'm like, 30 like on the portrait website. lenses he has mm-hmm <laughs> They're a little more expensive, but what they are is I mean, we're all, I'm just going to say it, we're all old enough here um, to remember the, the middle school and high school yearly f- photos. Right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where they'd assembly line you up and you just sit in line, and then you'd shuffle over into the yeah, square and they'd take your photo and you'd shuffle off. Mm-hmm. So, the largest company that ran those as a corporation um, had their own custom medium format camera system with bulk loaded 70 millimeter bulk canisters.
0: Camera like zoom. the
3: military, was that them? It might be, I can't remember the name. I bought Zoom. Um, and they them. said, okay, yeah. And they had a really beautiful, um, T, essentially TLR with a really gorgeous Pentax made Zoom, medium format Zoom. Fred's got them all. He bought all of their new old stock lenses. He has them in twin lens assembly, so if you want to make your own TLR, you can. You can flip it on its side and turn into a freaking medium format stereo a large format stereo camera, or you can buy them individually.
2: What do they cover?
3: Um, well, for sure, they cover six by six, right, from the old thing. Nice. Um, let me let me grab oh, a link. Yeah, six four five for
0: sure. You know, I used um, to buy those, and there was another brand before Camera Z. Um, you know, long roll 70 millimeter for school portraits or things like that. And I used to just tear the lenses off and sell those. I couldn't sell the bodies. I once sold a body to a guy in Russia for like 150 bucks. And it was like $190 to sell it. I said to him, I'm sorry. And then threw it in the trash and took the uh, lens off. Here,
3: I'll throw this into the chat. and see. It's a Computar. That's the one that's Pentax made. Computar is Pentax Asashi. Um, so he has them in individual, and he has them um, in a pair. Let me see if I can find the computer. I haven't bought one yet because they're just a little bit past. Like if I don't have a distinct use for them, I can't really afford to just like throw fifty bucks at something. Um, but.
0: They're really nice. It's kind of why I won't buy stuff from surplus jet is because when they're out, they're out and I don't want to have to just buy the entirety of a supply, you know, before selling the first one when somebody copies <laughs> that design and then buys the entirety of that supply. Right. Lens and I wanna say hard. he has
3: he has some of these floating around here that may even have a shutter in it. Mm. I could be
2: wrong. Mm, that's appealing.
3: Yeah, I thought I saw, I hunted around somewhere, and it might not be on Fred's site. It might be somewhere else. A few other people have these these lens, um, these lens setups. But yeah, if you just go to the, just do a search on computar, it'll pull all three of the of the setups of the lenses. And they're dope. They're really dope. Um, so yeah, so I have that stuff coming for Lana, and then I'm building or trying to build uh, an ultra wide angle lens out of those Hawkeyes, those Hawkeye doublets that Fred has for a yep. Sony A7. So, um, just they're 38 millimeter diameter, which is essentially a one and one eighth inch um, wood cutting spade cut. Um, so. Uh, just, just an M forty two lens cap and body cap, and that creates the barrel and the mount to go onto
2: the helicoil. It's just a pair of them. Yeah, that looks nice. that looks really appealing too.
3: Um, it's just getting it to like the the problem is math wise, and this is where like Jason Lane is just shaking his head in dismay and wanting to throw things at me over the internet. Um, is uh the back of the math the back of the envelope math which uh you which graham brought up in your podcast um that even was like i take umbrage with the term back focal length yeah. sir yeah
0: <laughs> well the, the thing is like all of thin lens approximations which oh, are good yeah but
3: yeah it's total back of the envelope math which is pretty much the only thing I live on. Um, So back to envelope math places this combination at like 14 millimeters from the sensor for a uh, 17 millimeter focal length lens, which considering the fact that an A7 has an 18 millimeter flange distance is getting hella sketchy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know? Um, So it's... One one
0: other consideration with like uh, ultra short flange distances on digital cameras is like yeah. uh film pixels or uh, uh, film grain can see in any direction basically mm-hmm. whereas um you know pixels on cameras because of like the Bayer mm-hmm. array and just the way they work is like often they'll have you know a s- shallower angle of view and so mm-hmm. as you get closer to them if if the the pixel lens only looks like this and you're coming in from over here, you start getting like real crazy vignetting. But right. I feel like you know, back of the envelope calculation is totally fine on digital because you can just look at it and then adjust things and see in a video right. if you're getting closer.
3: Right. My challenge is I don't have one of those cameras or anything with a Sony E mount, so I've got to.
2: There is there is another possible way to work around this oh. if you if you designed a lens to go on a focal reducer that fits the a7 the, the then you could then you could get it out where it your your center it would also add a stop of light which so I finally broke down and bought a cheap Chinese focal reducer to, to try on Fuji cameras uh, okay so I'm starting to find out that I actually like certain amount of image deterioration. <laughs> <laughs> and the, this whole, whole supposed image quality thing is far more subjective. You're speaking anyway, my language, Nick. To cut, a, to cut a long story short, I, I bought it one that takes Nikkor lenses, and okay. I really freaking like it. it. It means I can use a wide. I get a wider field of view and an extra stop of light. I'm shooting in the pitch dark in the woods right now, and you know this watery mm. mid midwinter light. And having that extra stop of light is a big deal. Um, yeah, and it, it it does add a different quality to the image, but it's all positive. I'm not, I don't see any downside to it. I'm I'm really enjoying it. Okay, so so that's hey, another Eric. another
1: solution. Right on. Hey Eric, uh, what do you think about maybe coming on our show uh, and doing a full episode of this type of talk? Because as you know, I love this whole homemade lens concept. <laughs> um and uh and what we're we're able to do with this um and and we can i'm i'm just a feared we're going to um run too long for for most people to listen to right uh with this and (laughs) um and we'll and and i i was gonna say um you know you might run out of words but i have a feeling you're not one of those people who runs out of words very often am i right with that (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> i could deny
3: this but my fiance would be just like
1: right exactly so uh, you're yeah so uh let's um let's talk about getting you on either on so, the next episode or one very soon and uh or, thanks for wait, hey, can, I, can or, I
0: ask a question before we badger uh, our yeah. public into coming on our show Hey, Badger away. When, is, uh, when is this lens due for this camera that you're making for Wayne and Alana? I was going to say, it
3: would be fun to do this a little further on when I have some traction on, on that BC. Um, I'll know the due date today after 5 o'clock. Um, I mean, no matter what, like this week, once the elements arrive from Fred, um, I'm going to start work. For sure, just specking stuff out. And I did also order an optical bench because awesome. you know, if oh, if if nothing else, it's just one of the little Arbor educational Arbor out. science. Cop cop well, out. mostly yeah. not for the large format ones. <laughs> for this little part, yeah. this little mm-hmm. right here. Like yeah. I can no longer just sort of scooch up against the wall yep. and go, Oh, that looks about like I can't. Yeah, and I and the, I don't the, want to drop spring screws on every mirror uh, and lens alignment. Uh, and I don't yes. want to drop a lens element onto a, a large format, sen- like a full format sensor. That would suck. Nick,
2: <laughs> so have- yeah, there's there's one thing I just was thinking. I don't know if they make focal redu- reducers for your full frame camera that you're planning to put this lens on, but you can you adapt a the other the opposite the thing that magnifies the image a bit. Uh, you know the—I yeah. forget what they're called—but those you can find in every junk store for peanuts. Uh, right. So you would get one, stick it on the adapter that fit the A7. Right. Anyway, what it does is it gets you out away from the sensor, and it should spread the light out uh, so that you don't have that issue of being too close. Right. Uh, so and and yeah. if actually the magnifiers, some of those even come with a helicoid, so you get a, like a macro thing, which could be handy too.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, um, I, just, I just wanted to say that like we have made the mistake on the podcast before when somebody we want to talk to is working on something that we really want to hear about pushing them off and pushing them off as they kind of work on it like my buddy Joe we didn't let him on the podcast for like six months now because I wanted him to finish this damn book so he could talk about it and like we really just should have had him on as soon as we could and then uh, had him on again to talk about the book but um, yeah that's yeah, I mean, I,
1: I feel fairly certain
3: um, I should have all the pieces in place to get to to serious work on it um, within the next week week and a half. The other thing I need to get out here now that I have so weird a house um, <laughs> with a with a real garage is I can That's set up like about. oh oh dude I can set up a wood working shop basically but Eric um,
0: shop is gonna get your 3d printer so dusty get <laughs> have a 3d printer
2: um, <laughs> there you go <laughs>
0: uh, but I have a
3: drill pr- a genuine like drill press coming which will uh, really let me like do a much better job at precision especially precision drilling holes like I'm gonna need to do for Alana's uh, lens barrels and whatnot. You know,
2: the small tabletop bandsaw is another really often-missed tool.
0: Um, we have one of those already. Also, That's the great. drill press is clearly just wasting space that could be used for a CNC mill. And have you have, uh, you, have you ever used a
2: router
1: table?
3: We have. We actually have a router. We just yeah. got it. And we're going to get a table for it. Perfect. <laughs> I, because the I think
1: we're getting dangerously close to Norm Abram. <laughs> no, well, just this, about, you know, just, the, this old house, Norm Abrams, he said, today we're building a shaker chair. We put it into the shaker chair machine and it just does yeah. it, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, that's,
2: that's your 3D printer man. we're doing it the old, <laughs> <laughs> the shakers had yeah, to yeah, pedal that's... their routers, but it's not that. Difficult.
1: Dude, I almost, I was
3: so tempted <laughs> to get one of those. Mark Osterman was selling a pedal powered route, ra- like router. No, pedal powered um, lathe mm-hmm. that he had in wow. his garage, and if mm-hmm. if I wasn't on the opposite coast in California yeah. from him and Rochester, New York, and it was a beautiful piece of machinery that he'd restored, and it's just it's dope. Right? you put the wood in there and you hand pump it and you do your thing. And yeah. that you know is was so better rad. Than,
0: than a hand pump lathe. An Tell us, machinist's lathe. <laughs> you <don't laughs> True. jump True. up and down while trying to hold the tool straight. Then Dude, there's a I...
2: there's an older version which uses a bow and a string that's wrapped around a spindle. That's the you one just... that I've used.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend who uh, painstakingly carved a set of bowling pins on a bow lathe. I've made like cards and sh- said, you know, enough of this. I have electricity. Yeah, I'm.
3: I'm not that much of a. a
1: my mother, masochist. my mother just converted one of her um, sewing machines to a hand crank sewing machine, and she is so excited. I think that she'd be, re- she's going to be disappointed if we don't lose you know now, power for weeks. Now I have uh, to in throw in here country. that
2: I have an old hand <laughs> crank drill press, and I've discovered it's a self feeding drill press, and I've discovered that it will drill with much finer bits than any electric tool. Because yeah. it, because it's turning slower and it's built mm-hmm. like a freaking brick, you know whatever, it's it's you can put these very fine little bits on it and
1: they won't break.
3: I believe this.
1: And, yeah, yeah. With that, shall we uh, shall we wind her up?
3: And uh, we've been winding Ethan up this whole time talking yeah, about right. like, <laughs> anything, but <laughs> if, All if, this three printer, printer
0: talk. <laughs> Sure. Winding well, mean, people up. And- uh, the why laser
3: cutters why? are pretty dope. I'm not going to deny it. Uh,
1: okay. Um, uh, let's do some shout outs. Ethan, do you have any?
0: Oh, uh, I probably have a long list of people I owe. Uh, oh, uh, shout outs. You want to
1: you like want to jot them down? We'll come to you last. Yeah, okay. okay. Uh, Nick, anybody you want to shout out to?
2: uh yeah give me a sec why don't you do your shout first
1: okay um i want to say thank you to matt beckberger who um was one of the people i sold some camera equipment to thank you very much turned into a chamonix um and um uh you know um i guess that's the main one i'm also really excited about um a future project that he's told me about that I'm not going to tell you guys about because I don't have the right to tell you about his Jeez. project. But I'm really excited about a project that's coming out of, uh, Raveni labs up there in Kanuckistan. Um, <laughs> let's see, uh, Eric, do you have any shout Kanuckistan. <laughs> Kanukistan. Kanukistan. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you betcha.
3: Um, oh! Yeah. Oh! Yeah! Yeah! For sure, I'm from Wisconsin. You know, my, my dad's that, a youper, and so like when the drinks go, Wisconsin comes out.
1: Oh yeah! No, I know that because you know I'm from Minnesota. Oh so, yeah, for sure. You know, so, yeah, yeah. Cold enough um, for you? In
3: California? <laughs> no, it's awesome. So anyway, shout out! To, shout out to my mates uh, Simon and Andrew and the Large uh, Format uh, Photography Podcast for introducing me to this wonderful. Not incestuous, friendly community.
1: That's right, community.
3: Community. 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 Not in, in- right. Do not yeah. break out into we are family. It would be embarrassing. Yeah. That's um, right. Uh, for you three, for doing the awesome stuff you do. My fiance for putting up with my shit, and uh, definitely for just getting the opportunity to to start to actually do a lot more of this type of thing. Uh, like Andrew or Simon said to me yesterday, like it's been quite a journey to go from rolling lenses and dollar bills to being commissioned to make a, a handmade 8x10 lens for an artist of incredible talent. So that's mm-hmm. like, you could never have poked me with, this, with anything and said, this is going to happen to you over the course of two years. I feel like you're smoking crack rock. I'm like No, not forget mm-hmm. it. I want, I want what you have because it's some great LSD. <laughs> so.
1: You know, I, I want to say when we had um, uh, Nicole uh, from uh, Montreal from Montreal. Oh, no, that's right, 100%. Right.
2: 100%. She, yeah.
1: she mentioned oh, yeah. you um, in, uh, you know, this guy out in California who's rolling dollar bills and, or rolling lenses into dollar bills. And, and it's like, I wrote down your name and it went nowhere. Um, so I'm glad you resurfaced um, because uh, I'm really excited about the work that you do.
0: So, Ethan, do you, do you have a list yeah, have or a, do you have a purchase? started making a list, but uh, basically I just wanted to thank Andrew Bartram for coming on my live stream. I have about uh, 30, 40 days of assembly of all of the batches of mongooses to come and some wholesale orders. And I have a table full of uh, camera parts. And so I haven't set a schedule and we actually need to talk after this show when I, when I turn us off about scheduling. But um, it's been really nice. To just be able to, um, you know, do my work while opening this chat and talking to people about cameras, and people have been dropping in. I'm I'm a very unpopular internet show, but uh, it's it's been really fun. Um, we'll do some mm-hmm.
1: more of it. All right, uh, Nick, do you have any um, uh, any shout outs? Yeah. So. There's a
2: prolific restorer of beautiful old cameras who's been posting on face, our Facebook group page named Rene Smets. Dude, that guy's a once-in-a-generation talent. Yeah, he does. I swear to God. He's just doing beautiful work, and these are spectacular old cameras. You also guys should once, him on. Once, once I've he been built trying himself for too. a
0: year <laughs> 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 to tell Rene to answer my phone calls. I haven't called him. I have called Wayne. But I have sent René lots of messages on different platforms. I keep poking,
3: those. sorry man. No, sorry okay. 5.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, well, so his his presentations uh, in the Facebook group are really beautifully made as well. And it and some people uh, and I ought to be the same way, but some people want to craft their presentation and not just like, you know, jabber on the phone and on, with a blurry video picture. So who knows? Um, it's not everyone's cup of tea this babbling on but we'll keep trying
1: i have uh i have one book that we uh that i want to mention it's uh it's from uh another podcast 99% invisible which is the smartest general design um and architecture and Uh, city planning podcast out there, and it's the 99% Invisible City. It's an absolutely fabulous book uh, about all those things that we don't pay attention to that make our, our, our environment run, which is tangentially Related to what we do, because it's design, and, uh, and we do lots of design. Uh, at this point, we normally thank Robbie, for the who composed the music that you guys have not been listening to in this episode, we'll because we are one, slack, and we have dropped the ball, and we don't have the music ready. But um, uh, visit um, uh, Robbie Cribs at uh, SoundTrapStudios.com. Um, do not confuse it with the uh, online podcast sharing app or something. Or, uh, but it's SoundtrapStudios.com. Um, and um, and just want to say thanks, Robbie. Thanks, thanks Robbie.
2: Robbie. And I do have one final word, spinning off of what you guys just said.
1: But the music is playing, can't you? Hear That's it?
2: all right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just read that the world just passed a really horrendous milestone which is that the accumulated mass of objects created by people, all that 99% invisible stuff, has just passed the accumulated mass of all biological organisms on the planet. So oh, that's, really cool. that's terrifying. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, the yeah. No, so hey, for every,
1: hey, for every hey, planet
2: so camera, I can save it. You better go plant, <laughs> plant a bush or a tree or something.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Sprinkle some weed seeds around, you know, do. Some-